Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, this morning I want to brag on some of our young people because I get the privilege of working with them week in, week out, and you guys as moms and dads and grandparents are raising some pretty incredible teenagers. I've... It's fun for me because I get to know them as individuals, and I'll say that in the last month and a half or so, something has been happening in the lives of the teenagers that I have never seen in nearly two decades of working with young people. And maybe as moms and dads or grandparents, they're not coming home explaining the details of of what God is doing in their life because it's awkward sometimes to talk about these things, but it is remarkable. I want you to know that your young people are praying. And not just praying cute little prayers, but they are passionately praying. They're praying often. They're praying out loud. They're praying boldly. They're praying big prayers. They're setting up prayer meetings on their public school campuses. Your young people are praying right now. And they're really seeing God answer those prayers. And when they see God answer those prayers, that's, that's fueling more prayer. And week after week, for the last seven, eight weeks, we've been seeing miracles. And we've been talking and, and sharing the stories of the miracles that have been happening as a result of your young people praying. And like I said, they're not praying cute little kid prayers. They're, they're really praying. They're praying for every orphan on the planet. They're praying big prayers like that clean drinking water would become accessible to every corner of the world. They're praying for the victims of human trafficking all around the planet. They're asking for true racial reconciliation to occur in our nation. Your young people are praying some big prayers. Now, personally, I grew up in a very religious church. Prayers were memorized and they were recited. And most people, the average person that I saw myself as, we sat quietly or mumbled along. And only the elite or the elect were allowed to actually bring a prayer to God. But friends, prayer at its core is very simply talking to God. And we can talk to him from our heart in whatever words naturally flow and come out. The same way we talk to anyone else, we can share concerns, we can ask for things, we can invite God to act. And a second level of prayer, a higher, more elite level of prayer, I would call intercession. And intercession is the type of prayer where you or I come in between in prayer. So there's this almighty, all-powerful, good and loving God, and there's humanity. And a person who intercedes is between God and humanity. And they're asking God, like, God, please release your blessings upon humanity. Or God, please stay your judgment from this group of people. 
And so when a person intercedes, they're, they're in between, they're standing in between, and they're passionately praying. And this is kind of that next level prayer because it goes that in-between concept, and it's bigger than ourselves. It goes to the needs of others. Now, naturally, I've always believed in prayer, and I've always prayed. But in the last few months, as I've been saying this thing has been happening in the lives of our young people, I have really began to pray more than I have ever prayed in my life. And I've learned some things. The first one is that we can all pray. We can all pray. Luke chapter 18 says Jesus is telling a parable. And parables are my favorite. They're my favorite because they're designed to be easy to tell and retell. You latch on to them, you hear them, and then you remember them. And this is especially important in the era that Jesus is teaching in Luke 18. It's important because people in this era did not read or write, and if they could, they certainly did not have paper with written down stories or access to written word. And so the majority of people heard and learned through the telling and retelling of information. And Jesus loved to use a parable because they were simple and they were complex all at the same time. And when a parable would be told, only later did the hearer of the parable begin to unpack like the fullness of what the parable actually means. Parables have layers, like an onion, right? You peel back the skin and, and you expose layer after layer after layer of flavorful fruit. Or onions are vegetable, I, I don't know. But but each time you peel back the layer, there's, you're thinking it's got to be the middle. It's got to be the whole purpose of why that parable was told. But just when you think you've gotten to the core, all of a sudden you can see another layer to what was being taught through parables. And Jesus loved parables. He wove them masterfully together. And every time he told one, they were deep and they were rich and they were full of purpose. And thousands of years later, we continue to tell these parables and repeat them. And we peel back that layer and we see what was more and more of the intent that Jesus was going for. So Luke 18, the Bible editors call this the parable of the persistent widow. And they obviously derive that title from verse 1. So let's read it together. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Parable of the persistent widow, right? So what I want you to see when we go into this next part is that, that Jesus goes on to describe two main characters. And I want you to catch these two characters. There is the widow and there is the judge. Verse 2. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, they neither, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow in that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. Finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see if she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision, decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? 
So Jesus chooses these two very extreme examples for the characters in his parable, right? He knows it's an onion. He knows we're going to peel it back. And so he picks one character that was a widow. And to Jesus' immediate audience that he was telling to like live and on the scene when Luke 18 was originally unfolding, the, the people would have seen that widow in a very specific way. They would have thought, that widow is poor, that widow is powerless, she's penniless, she has no voice, nobody's going to listen to her. Because in Jesus' era, widowhood was devastating. If a widow didn't have a son or a brother to advocate for her, she was most likely consistently robbed, beaten, taken advantage of, evil kept coming to her. People kept, that was how it was in Jesus' era. So when he picked a widow, he picked who his immediate audience would say was the least worthy to speak or to be heard or to be um, listened to in any way by the judge. Jesus created this parable based on the position of his widow because he wanted that person to represent the unworthy to be heard or speak. Jesus used someone unworthy to represent the person who prays. Now many people, even in this room, view themselves as unworthy to pray. They believe the lie that because of who they are or what stage of life they're in or what position they hold or they don't hold, what sins they've committed, that they are not worthy to pray or be effective in prayer. Many people view the idea of prayer as the right of the super spiritual. They think that the power of prayer or intercession belong to a select, very special few. But God does not evaluate or rank us the way we evaluate or rank ourselves. Romans chapter 2, it says, For God does not show favoritism. And I believe that Jesus deliberately chose this woman, this member of society, the weakest and the lowliest in her era to represent those who pray. Because he wanted us to know that all, all can pray. That all are welcome to come before him and to make intercession. Jesus wanted us to know that even if this widow could go and she could go and she was unworthy, but she could plead her case before this unjust judge and he would hear her, he wanted us to know we can all come. That because of what Jesus' work on the cross has done for us, that we have been made worthy to come. That we have the right. And Jesus extends the invitation and says, come and make intercession come and pray. Hebrews 4 explains it. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, our worthiness to pray is not based on our position in earth, but rather in our position before God. His invitation is to approach and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. 1 John 3 verse 20 says, But even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come before God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. A modern paraphrase of this same verse, the message says it this way. And friends, 
Once that's taken care of, that is the guilt. Once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing and condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive whatever we ask for. Jesus invites us to make intercession before the throne of grace and mercy. And he declares us to be worthy by the virtue of his invitation. And so who are we to argue with who Jesus said is worthy to come and to pray? Now, another layer to the meaning of this parable is found in Jesus' choice for the second character. Right? The plot thickens because Jesus chooses the widow and then he chooses who the world would say is a powerful person, right? He chooses a judge. And then he says that this judge in this powerful position, he's certainly going to be, wor- he's going to be wealthy, he's going to be well-respected, he has a platform to speak, you know, Jesus kind of sets him up this way. And his, Jesus' immediate audience would have instantly known this. And Jesus further describes the judge and he says that this judge, he says it twice, This judge neither fears God nor cares about people. Jesus set up the judge to be the exact opposite of the Father God, right? And sometimes if we're not careful, we read this parable and we're like, yep, we're the unworthy widows and there's God who's unjust and maybe we'll wear him out and we'll bother him enough, but I don't want to bother God and there's this tension because God, and we think God is like the unjust judge. But friends, this parable is a flip. It's the opposite of what we're reading. We are not the widow and God is not the unjust judge. The furthest thing from the unjust judge is God's character. And if the furthest thing from the unjust judge is willing to answer the deepest prayer of the most unwilling candidate, the widow, how much more will our heavenly father be willing to grant justice to his people who cry out to him day and night in prayer and intercession? The parable is as much about who we pray to as it is about who does the praying. Do you think, do you imagine that you're praying to this evil, unjust judge who's just barely tolerating you and may or may not give you justice? Because that's how I was raised. That's who I thought we were praying to for years and years, this angry guy, and don't bother him too. And there was this tension, but Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Anyone, he's saying, anyone, the least worthy of society, the widows, the weakest of Christians, the people in here by the skin of their teeth this morning can do the praying because the character of God is beyond just and he always answers. God listens to the prayers of his children and he shows no partiality, no partiality as if some are worthy to be heard, but then these people, because of Saturday night, they're not worthy. That's not how God evaluates our prayers. Jesus uses the opposite of the Father to show when he chooses this unjust judge. He picks the harshest and the meanest and the most uncaring, and God is nothing like that. God is better. Jesus also picks the widow as his character who's nothing like us. 
this poor and this voiceless. And that is where the flip is at. We are welcome to pray. We're welcome to pray. God invites us to pray, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter how unworthy we view ourselves to be. God invites us, come and pray, come and talk. And he wants to hear from us. He wants to listen to us. And he wants to know our concerns and hear our asks. Psalm 116.2 says, Because he bends down, I will pray as long as I have breath. So our first truth, we can all pray. And then our second truth is, we should all pray. We can all pray and we should all pray. And here's why. Because we have an enemy who never rests from plotting our worst. The devil makes an appearance before God in Job chapter 1. The Bible doesn't tell us how regularly the devil makes appearances like this, but we know it happens twice in just the first few chapters of Job. And the devil is standing before the Lord, and ultimately he's there to make an accusation against one of God's people, against Job. Here's the nuts and bolts of it. God points out Job. God's bragging on Job, and he's like, that guy, that guy's awesome. And God just brags on him a little bit, and the devil makes some kind of underhanded, backstabbing, snide comment against Job and insults God. And the devil negotiates against Job and arranges for Job's harm, right? You guys have heard this story. He loses everything, his kids, his farm, his animals, every, his health, all his sickness. So the devil starts this negotiation for Job's harm. God puts his money on Job and Job's character. And for the time being, God allows this with some stipulations. He allows what the devil negotiates for to happen in the life of Job. And in this example, we get some insights into the role that the devil plays. He is the accuser. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. You see that? The one who accuses our brothers and sisters, that's the role of the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. He makes his rounds making accusations against God's people. Whom does he accuse us? Accuses us to ourselves, right? In our own thoughts, we feel unworthy or less than, so he accuses us here in our thoughts. He also accuses us one to another through gossip and backstabbing and just talking and misunderstanding, lies and rumors. He accuses us one to another. He also accuses us to God. And this is exactly what he's doing in Job chapter 1. So the devil makes accusations against us. He has some type of audience, and he throws out his snide and underhanded comments against God's people. Sometimes those accusations are about our past. Like, do you know what kind of person she was in college? He'll just throw out that accusation. Or maybe those accusations are about our identity. He throws out things like, well, do you know what kind of man he really is? And sometimes those accusations are about our future. You think their marriage ever recover from this? So the devil's out there making accusations against us. And we cannot let our enemy have more access to God than we ourselves are claiming. 
If the devil is making accusation before our God day and night, like it says in Revelations 12, then we got to step up our prayer lives. Even as I say this, I can feel like eyes, ro- eyes rolling. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jail, I, I have a job. <laughs> like, I have kids. I have all these responsibilities and all this stuff going on in my life. We have soccer and we have, I can't possibly add one more thing to my day. I hear you. But I guarantee you this. The devil is negotiating for the demise and the harm of everything you value. He's arguing for your worst. Do not allow the devil to negotiate for your harm more than you are negotiating for your good. The devil makes a plan to bring his requests before God. He's making accusations against God, against his people, against everything that we hold dear. Like picture it this way. Picture a courtroom. And in this case, picture with God as the good and just judge. And the devil as the prosecuting attorney, railing on about the guilt of the defendant, making accusations against the defendant. And we and everything we care about are the defendant. We cannot allow the only voice to be heard in that courtroom to be that of the accuser. We have to stand up in prayer. We have to negotiate. We have to make intercession And the only way that we do this is by carving out just even just a few minutes here and a few minutes there to pray. The devil knows the power of bringing the accusation before the throne of God. What's your plan? What's your plan to intercede? The courtroom scene, the courtroom picture is not complete the way I described it because Jesus has made provision to intercede on our behalf. He is our defense attorney, right? Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also drinking a smoothie. Interceding for us, right? He's not just sitting there, he's interceding for us. And in case that's like mind-blowing to you, because when I read it, I was like, what? Right? I thought he was like kicked up in heaven, chilling, giant God-sized barca lounger, bronco game. I don't know, I'm just imagining. But, But really, it says his job in heaven is intercession. Here's another verse that says it again, Hebrews 7. But because Jesus lives forever, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. The Bible says that Jesus lives forever to intercede on our behalf. And it says this, I think, so that we don't become discouraged in our weakness or our prayerlessness or the fact that we forget to pray or make intercession. He doesn't want us to give up and stuff. He wants us to be encouraged. But also, I think it's written there because God wants you and I to know how important God views the role of the intercessor. The role of the one who prays. That God said, that Jesus said, my job for all eternity is to intercede, is to pray. It's to negotiate for the blessing to be released upon God's people. God views prayer. God views intercession so 
vitally. That he said, I'm not going to staff it out. I could, he could have been a thousand angels, go pray for the rest of eternity. But Jesus said, no, 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 I'll intercede. I'll do it. Because it's that important. He so highly values intercession that he himself has become our intercessor for all eternity. And so easy to fall in this trap, friends, of thinking, well, prayer or intercession when I have time, but the kids are little, or now the kids are bigger, and it's actually harder. I thought it would get easier, and now what am I? It's easy to fall into this idea of someday I'll pray, someday I'll intercede, but it's so important that Jesus says, I'll do it right now, forever. And guys, we must partner with Jesus in this role of intercessing. So we can all pray. Secondly, we should all pray. And thirdly, I want to talk about how to pray. I'm going to throw you two things. One, pray specific and pray big. There are many ways to pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your head. You can mumble under your breath. You can pray sitting down or standing up or my personal favorite, pacing back and forth. You can pray alone or you can pray with other people. You can pray in your house, your car, your school, even though they say you can't, you can't. In nature, in any location at all, you can pray. You can pray. Personally, I like to pray out loud because I know myself and my mind wanders. And I could pray, God, help the hungry children in Africa. Oh, I'm hungry. I want Taco Bell. Let's go. Right? That's how it goes. So I feel stupid if I say that out loud. So I pray out loud as accountability to myself to stay focused on what I'm praying about. And I like to pace back and forth because I like to keep my physical body occupied so that I'm not like becoming distracted with fidgeting with things. But these are personal preferences. And maybe you have your own personal preferences. If you don't, just try some. Try mine. They're the best. Just try a way to pray to start, (laughs) just kidding, to start a way so that you just, you get yourself in motion. But here's my challenge to you in regards to prayer. What if we all prayed more specifically? Like everybody says something like, oh God, we we throw it out the last second on the way to work, right? Oh God, help me have a good day, right? And usually we feel so guilty we haven't prayed better earlier that we've thought about what we're going to say for a minute and then we throw out the help me have a good day, please, Lord, please, right? What, What if, what if we just put some detail into that because there's a huge difference between help me have a good day and a specific prayer. What if we said, God, cause me to have favor with my boss and my coworkers. Open my ears and my eyes to, to what's going on around me. Give me supernatural success to understand and accomplish an incredible amount today. Give me wisdom to make excellent dis- decisions. Anybody in my life or my work that's going to pull me away from you, God, steer them away from me today. That I could stay close to you. Help me to avoid temptation, protect me, keep me safe from all the plans of the enemy and anybody that's intending evil towards me today, okay? That prayer, in Jesus' name, amen, right? That took maybe 40 seconds. We could have done that in the time that we spent feeling guilty because we didn't take an hour to pray. So if we pray specific, it's more powerful. But let let me throw this out. What if... We prayed big, big. Like it, okay, like this, for example. God, I'm gonna pray the same prayer I just prayed to the best of my recollection, but God, I pray for myself 
and every member of my family. So husband, wife, kids, grandparents, mom, dad, nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, uncles, seven times removed, okay? Myself and every member of my family. In fact, for every member of the Fellowship Church family. And then we prayed the exact same prayer. Help me to have favor with my bosses and coworkers today. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see. And help me to avoid temptation and take any one of those people out of our lives that's going to pull us away from you, God, and help all of us to be protected by you when we go to work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Guess what? Same 40 seconds. But now we just prayed for thousands of people. Now we went from prayer, talking to God, to intercession, releasing God's blessings and God's power out over God's people, right? What's the difference? Size. The size of the prayer. Not the time. I know it's overwhelming in a busy schedule. I get it. But just think of this from a parent perspective. My son, Azariah, was born with a sweet tooth, okay? His first word was not mama or dada. It was donut. Okay, not quite, but almost. I mean, this kid, he wakes up in the morning, he peeks his head out of his crib as a 12-month-old a couple years back, and he's like, donut? I'm like, what? Okay, when he comes to me, I'm constantly like, no, no donut, no, no treat, no, no candy, right? Because there's a limit to what you can give your kid without wanting to, they go crazy. Um, But he learned this. He's three now. He learned this. Now he comes to me and says, mom, can Benaiah and Judah and I have a donut? <laughs> so he uses his brothers in that, right? And it works on me. It, it, it works on me because why? Because I'm like, oh, my little three-year-old in a stage of total selfishness is thinking of other people. <laughs> Let's go buy donuts. God is a father. And when we say, does, is, he, is he okay with us being needy children of God? I mean, Pastor Hooper is always talking about, I'm a high-maintenance child of God. And let me tell you, Pastor Hooper really is. But just kidding. We, it's okay to bring our requests for ourselves to the Lord. And we should often, daily, we should do this. But what if we just said, I'm going to make my prayer big. Not just myself, not just me a donut, but my brothers a donut. Not just me protection, but, but everyone I love and, and everyone that's loved and felt. And, and what if we made the circles that we're praying for continually get bigger? That's what's being talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, pray in the spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. I used to ignore the last part of that verse, all the saints, and your prayers for all the saints, because I'm like, there's too many of them. I am needy. I have problems. I can't possibly list everybody else's problems, too. But now I do it like this. Let's throw up that picture, the diagram. So I want to pray as a mom. I want to pray for my kids, right? I'm praying for my kids. So I think of everything I have to say for my kids. I want them to have the right friends. I want them to accept Christ at a young age. I want them to love God's word and memorize it and, and pray and, and never give in to like bad temptations and that the person they marry wouldn't be a creeper. You know, I got all these things, right? It's easy to pray for your kids, all right? But what if then we go big, all the kids of Fellowship Church? 
Hey, that's every, now I, I pray every day, almost, for all of your kids, even if they're grown and old and crazy and have kids themselves, right? And then all the kids who've ever been to Fellowship Church in their life. That's like the Easter person, right? Maybe they were a kid 20 years ago, but guess what? We pray for them every day if we pray this way. That, that's the person that came for a funeral and had no idea what was going on because they're all the kids who've ever been to and then you know what? Nobody is praying for them. So I'm going to pray for all the orphans and all the kids in foster care on the planet. Just throw it all in. So I'll say, God, in Jesus' name, I pray for my kids and all the FC kids and anyone who's ever been to FC as a kid and all the orphans and foster kids in the planet. Boom, 20 seconds, and now I pray the exact same passionate prayer I pray for my own kids. Right? Next, say you're sick, all right? You say, I'm never so thankful for my health as when I have a cold because then I'm just like, it's so miserable. And so... I pray for myself. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I pray for myself. But I can also pray for everyone with my same symptoms. Or I could take it even bigger. Everyone in the hospital on the planet. Maybe everyone who has a diagnosis of any kind. And then I pray what I pray for myself. Please help me feel better. But if I need to go to the doctor, please help me to know and help the doctors to figure it out. And help me to be able to afford that antibiotic because I'm probably not going to be covered by my insurance. For everyone on the planet. And guess what? You know how long that takes me? 30 seconds? And I just went from prayer to intercession. I'm standing in this gap and changing the tone of the planet. I want us to do something crazy for a second. I want us to bring some big needs before God. If you would, just stand to your feet. We can pray for my sister to find Jesus, or we can pray for, this, for the, any sister of any believer on the planet who's lost, right? We can pray for my mother's health, health or the health of every physically ill parent on the planet. I could pray for my husband's job to be less frustrating and more fulfilling. Or I could pray for every husband who hates their job and needs a better one on the planet. So I want us to just try one because we're out of time. Just one. I want you in your mind to think of a person you know who does not know Christ. Just one. Someone close to you, someone you care about, that you love. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a coworker. Just think about them. Just think about them for a minute. Think about how much you love them. Think about how much God loves them. Think about what they need. Why don't they know Christ yet? What do they need? Do they need an invitation? Do they need the, the gospel to be said in a way they can understand? What do they need? Now in a moment, we're going to pray for them specifically, but first, let's, let's make that bigger. Everyone in the room is thinking of one person. So when we pray, let's not just only pray for our one person, but let's pray for everyone's person in the whole room. Now your person's getting prayed for a thousand times, right? It got big. So we're going to take one minute. I want to challenge you to just pray out loud. I know it's weird. I made Julie come up here so nobody can hear you. She's playing beautifully. Um, but just do it out loud. Maybe you've never done that before. But just pray out loud for one minute for, the, for that lost person that you know that's hurting and for everybody's lost person in the room. Go ahead and take one minute.
Jesus, we pray for every lost person that's being pictured by a person in this room right now. We love them. But God, we know you love them more because you died on the cross for their sins. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would draw them onto yourself. You would open their eyes. That if they're veiled by deception, that it would fall. And the truth would come into their lives and they'd get it. And they'd understand, God, help us to be part of the solution. That we would become inviters. That we would share our faith. That we would be able to communicate who you are to us, to them. And God, we pray for every lost person being thought of in this room and every lost person who does not know you on the planet. God, if they're in a jungle in Africa somewhere and no one's gone there, send someone there to speak, God. If they're, if they're broken and hurting in, a, in Russia and, and no one's been allowed to bring the gospel into a closed area in their village, God, send someone. Lord, we pray for every lost person on the planet, the ones we're picturing that we love so deeply and the ones that are on your heart right now, Jesus. Save them, redeem them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And friends, that... That's intercession. That's changing the world through prayer. We love you guys so much, and we'll see you all next Sunday morning or in the midweek. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you, God, for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.